biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was you asked to in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Uh, this is Jacob Wolf, and I'm joined from Los Angeles, California, on the phone with Brandis, Brandon St. Vicious DeMarco, uh, coach of Team Dignitas. St., how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm Brandis now. I'll, I'll take that name. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to have St. on the podcast this week, everyone, to kind of talk about the roster moves that are, are happening in North America or have happened uh, leading up into the LCS. Uh, St., what do you think a lot of these North American roster changes that have happened over the last few weeks? To be honest, I used to like keep up with all the roster stuff super hard and, you know, think about how it make the teams uh, better or worse. But I kind of just been more taking like the sitting back to that kind of stuff route and just mainly focusing on uh, my own team. So like, you know, I like the OL turtle to FlyQuest, you know, which is the team we're playing. But uh, I don't think that it's like, it's that uh, impactful of a move, you know? Like I think a lot of the moves are, at least for this split, uh, just because, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been a full off season. It's only been like a month. I think like most of the moves are kind of just like side grades and not really like big uh, game-changing impactful moves, you know, outside of maybe like double lift moving to TSM. Your old team, Team Liquid, has um, decided to kind of revert to their old roster. Uh, wh- what do you think of that? I think at least for them, like, I don't, I don't think that they wanted to, revert back to the original roster they just probably didn't you know it's, it's like i said like the off season's only a month long or it's a little longer than a month maybe but it's around a month so it's really hard to sign a uh impactful player that's not already contracted to a team during the middle of of a season uh and then incorporate them into a team like let's say they tried to get an import or something like a, a korean player there's no way they're going to be able to teach that person english and get them to incorporate and, and mesh well with the team uh, during that short of a span. So I think it's just kind of, th- that's the option that they were left with. Do you think there's any team that didn't make a roster change as there were a few that you think should have? I mean, it's not that, it's, it's like I said, it's like it's not that you should or shouldn't make the roster move. It's just people always like, yeah, oh, they should get this person or get that person. It's just uh, when you're between splits like this, like I, all these roster moves should be made in like the, the real off season in between seasons. But it's like in this month time span, it's, very hard to have like an impactful roster move unless you're just kind of like replacing one player that is like obviously underperforming, but and then you're not going to get a very quality player to fill that position in most cases. So I don't really think that there's like a, a should or shouldn't, you know, do for the, the roster moves. And you mentioned you don't think wild turtle is a particularly impactful move uh, for FlyQuest. Why do you say that? Um, I mean, they had Altec before, who I don't think was a bad player by any means. I think Altec's pretty good when he's on his game, but he's, like, very sporadic in how he plays, and um, I think he's kind of maybe an emotional player. And so sometimes he's playing, like, really good, and then other times he's just playing, you know, not that not, not so hot. And then I think for Turtle, like, he's just... Maybe he got the TSM treatment where they just kind of, like, don't give him any attention and just leave him on an island. Uh, but I don't really think that, I mean, he, he, I guess if you look at how he played at MSI, he, he didn't like play bad, but I don't think he's like, he's just going to be like a serviceable ADC that just going to show up and do his job. So I don't think that 
like that i think that like that position could be a, could have been filled by just about anybody and as long as they like show up and do their job i think FlyQuest is going to be the exact same team do you think with all these moves that um do you think any certain team moves up uh because of a change or do you think that these the split kind of remains if we look at the end of the summer this uh in you know three months do you think the standings are going to be very similar to what they were in the spring mm, i think clg will be stronger because i think dardock is a little bit a little bit more of a stronger player than smithy was but they could at the same time they could also move down because uh you know like we all we all know dardock and we've seen his past so like that could that could be like a big positive swing or a big negative swing and um I think, I think TSM, you know, obviously they won't move up in the standings to their first, but I think adding double if will, you know, definitely make them a stronger team when it comes to competing on the world stage. And let's see what it was. Is there like a big roster move that I'm missing? Um, no, I think I think you talked like, about most of them. I guess I, like Envy got what Niski or yeah, Envy M- got Niski and uh, Perian, and Perian will play in the first couple of weeks because uh, Niski is from Belgium, if I remember correctly, and that means he has to get a visa. So, uh, and Perian okay. automatically has one from his time on Phoenix One, so just needs to transfer employer. Um, so let's talk yeah. a little bit about you. Uh, You've decided to move back to Team Dignitas, which is um, where you were. You were with Apex before the acquisition to Team Dignitas happened, uh, and then you moved over to Liquid. Uh, how did you decide to come back to Dignitas, and how did that work out? Um, how did I decide to come back to Dignitas? Uh, well, I mean, I just really like the roster that they have here, and also, like, uh, you know, I've played in, like, outside of Keen, you know, on Gravity, you know, two, three years ago, and, like, I've, like, and I've known Cobb, like pretty much all these people on this team, like I've known them for half of my esports career. Or I've played with them or I've worked with them. So uh, I was kind of sad to lead them uh, before the last time to go to Team Liquid. Uh, but, you know, like I'm back with them now. And it's just, it's just a lot more comfortable for me to work with these people. And like there's like a, a trust thing that has kind of been built. And uh, there's, you know, it's just when, when everybody trusts each other, it's a lot easier to just like pro- progress way faster. So I just think it's a, a, lot, a lot better working environment. And how was your split with Liquid? I mean, clearly you have a, a very long history with uh, Steve Aronson in particular uh, during your curse days as a player and a coach. Um, but how was it back to kind of move back to the Liquid organization after uh, they've become Liquid and, and, you know, changed a lot of things around in management? Um. How's it? Mm, I mean, Liquid is a nice org. Like, they definitely treat their players really well. I feel like they, they just throw money at things. You know, it's like uh, have like good cook, um, good housing. Like, all, they have like all like the the nice setup and stuff. But it's like, I feel like that they are in the mindset of just like throw money at a problem and it'll fix it. You know. So I mean, but it, they're very accommodating, and I think that they treated their players and staff very well. So, but um, it, it, I, my time when there was nice, I enjoyed it. Outside of you know being almost relegated, but <laughs> it, it was it was it was nice being and working with Steve. It was good. And it was like was the relegation like really stressful? That you know facing almost impending doom. I think is a lot of people don't really understand that relegation is uh, kind of a nosedive for an org if uh, if it happens, especially for the League of Legends team. Was that like an extremely stressful time for you? Um, this is gonna sound terrible. So this is like my first. T- 
When I was working with Team Liquid, I lived out of the team house. Uh, and, you know, I had an apartment, and I would just uh, commute to work. So it's like uh, when I would when I would leave uh, from work, like, I would go and have, like, a normal life. And then I kind of, like, all that, for some reason, all that stress would just be away from me. So and then I would come back, and then, like, all the stress is still there for all the players and the other people. So, I mean, I'm not really the type of person to get stressed, so. It's just kind of like when I, since I was able to like live out of the environment, it, it's like the stress didn't compound on me or anything like that. And I think it, that allows me to like come in with like a level head and, and not be, uh, maybe kind of like de-elevate everybody else's stress. And I mean, cause I, I mean, at that time we had double lift and I don't think double lift is going to lose to like deftly in the promotion tournament. So I kind of like never thought we'd be stressed. I never thought we'd get relegated, and I actually thought we'd be able to beat FlyQuest, which we ended up like, throwing our last game against them. So I, I was confident we, we would we'd be okay. So I, I didn't really – I wasn't, like, worried that much. But obviously we wanted better standings and stuff, and a lot of the decisions that get made, got made in the, the split were, like, pretty bad. So, like, that was – it was more, like, frustration instead of stress. You mentioned the, that you live outside of the team house. Uh, is are you going to do the same with Dignitas? Uh, yeah, and well, I'm like living at the Dig House until they move. I still have my apartment just because, like, uh, I live in LA and uh, the Dig House is in Long Beach, and it's like a 50 minute drive. So I'm just like, I'll just stay here until we they move. Uh, but they're they're going to be moving closer, and I'll probably just do the commute. And I mean, I don't. I, I think I think it's like a lot of the teams have like tried the living you know an office like living in a outside their workplace and and having like an office and stuff but uh like i i think i think it helps a lot it's just like getting everybody on board with it you know i think like a lot of teams are moving moving over to that kind of where it's just you get to separate work and and uh and um like your your normal life you know yeah that that, that makes a lot of sense um do you think that that well, one of the things I think that a lot of people are misconceived about, uh, particularly when it comes to South Korean culture and gaming, is that like the team house is just like a, a workhorse, and uh, that's something that a lot of people have been, uh, especially the public, have kind of been critical about Western esports. Um, do you think that with that kind of environment and and being separating the two work and personal life, do you think it's able to achieve and and progress as a team where you you reach a top level like a TSM or something like that? I don't think it has any impact on results. I just think for mental health, it's it's definitely nice because I mean, like we have you know someday in Keen, we have like a lot of the you know true like true Korean players that haven't really like one hundred percent been incorporated in NA culture yet, you know, like the real, real Koreans, like they're pretty much fresh, you know, and they're still right. like, if, let's say they lived away from their work environment, they'd still do the exact same thing that they would be if they're in the house. They'd just be grinding solo queue and, you know, playing to their heart's content because they just love the game and they just want to, just want to be the best at it, you know, they just have that drive. And I think that's, that that's just the really daily difference there. So it's like, it, it's not, it's not like living somewhere else, like living away from the gaming house and uh I mean, living away from where you work is going to make any difference in like how they how they do things you mentioned someday but uh also chaser is on the team um i for for making those big of acquisitions in the off season last uh in the fall 
And in the winter, you, a lot of people thought Dignitas would be a significantly better team, but, but kind of by the end of it all, uh, they finished out very similarly to where they did the split before. Um, do do you think uh, that that you and your support staff are going to be able to maximize uh, their potential and and really uh, bring bring out Chaser in some days uh, form that they've previously shown on other teams? Um, I mean, I don't think that only pointing out a specific player and like bringing out their form is like a league. League is like a team game, you know. And I think some of the issues that this team had in the past were. Like, uh, you know, they brought in Korean coaching staff and they just did a very poor job of, uh, there's basically like there's, you know, any team that has NA and Korean players, there's like two parties and, you know, you have to like bring those two parties together to work together. And I'm not saying that it's like a negative and, or like a negative that there's two different parties. It's just, you know, it's kind of hard to have like a good conversation or like be really good friends with somebody that it doesn't speak like your full language, you know? And I think like the coaches in the past, like when they were doing post game or yeah, even doing like after scrim activities and things like that, they didn't really do a good job of incorporating the, the NA players on the team. And this kind of like leads to a divide. And then you just, you're, you're, you're like playing with like a half a team then, you know? That and it's, uh, yeah. So it's like, that's, I'm, I'm not like saying I'm going to come in and like be some revolutionary coach. And like, I, I know a lot about the game and all that kind of nonsense and strategy and, you know, all the stuff that like people would expect me to know. But more of my thing is that it just needs to be five people all on the same page working together. And also I think someday in Chaser, uh, their English has gotten a lot better because, uh, you know, they had an English teacher for the, the whole split and then they still have one they're working with now. So um, as their English gets better, I think like, they'll actually be able to make uh, dynamic calls and things like that. Cause when I first came here, it's like, I don't think that there was a, a big value on uh, communication and it's kind of just people just playing the game, you know? So I think that them having better English and uh, making them want to work more with the NA players is going to help them a lot. Just make, make like actual whole team plays instead of just like it's chaser and someday together, you know, versus the right. world. So final question so. before I let you go. Um, you are among the few that has left a team uh, and is now returning to it um, because you didn't leave with any bad blood or anything with Dignitas. What do you hope to achieve with Dignitas that you did not when they were Apex? Uh, I mean, obviously, we want to go to Worlds, but um, hmm. I mean, I, I don't. Know, I mean, I think it's like such a that's a boring question because everybody's going to say the same thing. They're just going to say like, you know, let's go to Worlds, but I just. I don't care where we end up. I just want to see like growth from the players and that they're, they're happy with like the amount of work they put in and where they got. That's my thing. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I very much appreciate it. Uh, after the break, we will be joined by Tyler Ersberger, Fionn on fire, uh, to discuss some of the schedule changes to the NALCS, uh, his time at the university of league of legends championship this weekend in Los Angeles and also rift rivals. Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. We are now joined by Tyler Fionn Erzberger, our uh, wonderful reporter out in Los Angeles. Uh, Tyler, let's let's kind of just start with something that is fresh on your mind. Let's start with the, the University of League of Legends Collegiate Championship. How was that? Ah, uh, man. It was pretty great. Like, I came into flow expectations. Uh, I've never, I was at the Big Ten Championship a few months back. 
it was a good, solid event, but it wasn't really that huge, you know. There was a few fans there, a lot of rioters, a few, you know, family members. But coming into this weekend, it was actually a really big eye-opener. Like, it was a really fun event. Riot went all out, got the USC marching band to play Silver Scrapes and other kind of songs during breaks and after the finals. And it was a really fun tournament. It was it was pretty high level, so I enjoyed it. It was it was a good good time. As someone who watches a lot, a lot of League of Legends uh, at a lot of different levels, how do you think this compared to professional League of Legends in terms of skill? I think it's pretty comparable. Like, you're obviously a college football fan. I think it's very comparable to say, like, it's very comparable to saying, hey, this is like college football compared to the NFL. It's a lot more wide open. There's a lot more offense. There's a lot less, you know, plotting. Like, when a team gets a 7K gold lead in, like, Korea, SKT is just going to systematically break down the map and very boringly just overwhelm an opponent. When in college, when a team gets a 7K gold lead, there's a you never know what's going to happen. They might throw it up there, they might throw it in lane, they might go for crazy fights. It's a lot more wide open and a lot more. I say for a, a casual viewer who doesn't care about skill level, they probably have a lot more fun watching college just because you have fights all the time. You never know who's going to win. And but I and, but there's obviously I mean most of these players are never going to make it to the pro level but there is you know one two three players I think that we saw this weekend that will have pro careers down the line. And you mentioned that the production was uh, better than you expected. Um, the fact that the USC marching band was there. Do you think that this is a good example of how collegiate esports should be organized and uh, to kind of look at other games? Again, it's, it's, I think it's a thing where it's like every game is different, right? Riot does what Riot does. The, Riot does a very good job at putting on Riot events. And when what I mean by that is that they have a very specific style of putting on events. I think just I, I think this is a great way for Riot to put on events. I think it feels like a really big deal. And as I talked to some parents this weekend of the players, they thought it was amazing, you know, that they saw this whole production everything. They're like, wow, this is really like if my kid was playing in, you know, the NCAA championship game for football or basketball or playing a big sporting event final. It felt that big and it was, and right gave that care to, you know, the players and teams. But I think, you know, if you're in a different East, I think there's different ways you can convey this college scene. I think this one's a lot more prim and proper. I think there's other ways where you can have a lot more of a, you know, crazy college feel or, you know, a, a much more, you know, trash-talking, you know, back-and-forth thing, like, you know. So, yeah, I think there's different ways you can put it on. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about what's going to happen this weekend. You're going to go back to the same venue. Um, the LCS kicks off this weekend, and in comparison to the previous split and the previous summer split, this split will have a break in the middle of it for Rift Rivals. Um what are you expecting out of the LCS this split, and what are your thoughts on, on the teams going in? Uh, my expectations for the NLCS teams is that they better up their game from last split. I mean, it, I don't think it was any surprise or it wasn't any shock to anyone that the NLCS did not look very solid last split. I mean, their players were pretty open about it, saying that, yeah, the, the league has the league went downhill from a the summer split when a lot of the players felt that the NA region 
wasn't far off from, like, you know, the top region of the world. Like, a lot of the teams felt like, hey, we can hang with most of the teams in the world. Last spring, teams felt like they were disjointed. You know, it's, it's, it's just the case of NA. When you import so many players and you have so many changes and you have Koreans that need to learn English, that's just the nature of the beast. So this split, NA should expect higher, better play, just better play across the board, or we're going to be in trouble come Worlds. So let me ask you another question, uh, kind of on the the subject of international competition. Um, one of the biggest things that I think makes the summer split more competitive is the fact that everyone's butting for world spots. Um with Rift Rivals now being in the middle of the split, and there actually being something to play for, even though the three teams are decided from each region, do you think that makes those three teams a little bit more competitive? I think Rift Rivals will be a very interesting event. I think you will see mixed reactions across the board because each region if each Rift Rival leg has a different format. I think NA versus Europe probably has the weakest format of all the regions because there's only six teams. Uh, it's it's a kind of a there's a lot of you know kind of random, not really important best of one uh, games in there for a group stage. Uh, I think it will help because I think it'll be a fun event. It'll give them more experience. I think traveling for a team like Phoenix One will be really important. I think. Someone like Shady, who, you know, is coming from, you know, Robert Morris, a college team, and has now been thrown into a starting position, I think that will be a really valuable experience for him and for Phoenix One as a whole. When if, hopefully, if they make Worlds, this will be a good, you know, testing period where he can, you know, get out of his nerves before the real big international competition comes. Do you think that... Uh, do you think it's realistic that North America could actually be competitive in um, at Worlds this year if summer goes well? Of course. I think it's stupid. I honestly think it's stupid for any North American fan, any North American player, any North American owner to say we have no chance. That's ridiculous. Look at our like. Look at the infrastructure. Like, if if we can't compete, I'm not saying like we should beat SKT. We shouldn't beat the top green teams because that's Always, that's, good. that's a tough goal. It's difficult. SKT is the greatest team we've ever seen. But to go into a tournament and say, ah, we don't have a pool one seed, uh, we're in North America, we don't look like... That, that's not an excuse anymore. It's not 2012, it's not 2013, when the infrastructure was, you know, Team Martin buying a beach house and not knowing what to do and not knowing what to do with a coach and everything, you know, being a, a crapshoot. We have teams with mental coaches. We have teams pouring so much money. We have teams practicing six, seven days a week. No team who goes to Worlds this year should expect anything less than making top eight. I think any team that goes from any of the major regions should expect to make top eight. If you don't make top eight, then it's not a successful tournament, in my mind, if you're coming from a major region. And finally, uh, my last question to you. Uh, Rift Rivals is not the only event that was announced in the last few weeks. Uh, it was announced yesterday that the North American LCS Summer Finals would be coming to the East Coast for the first time since summer 2015. It will be held in August at the TD Garden in Boston. 
Tyler, what do you think about this venue selection and the NALCS's first return to the East Coast since Madison Square Garden two years ago? I'm excited. I really like I, I like the decision. I think the TD Gardens are really awesome. It's a new arena. I think the one big issue with the Vancouver Finals, besides Vancouver not having Uber or Lyfts, so it's very difficult to go around, and someone from L.A. who Ubers and Lyfts all the time is a very difficult transition. Uh, I think the biggest issue with the Vancouver Finals is that the Finals were actually in the updated arena that they used for the Canucks. It was the older arena, the Pacific Coliseum, which was a nice place, but it felt a little bit dated. I think going to the TD Garden, uh, a great choice by Riot, and I'm very excited to have Clam Chowder do all Boston things, listen to Dropkick Murphys. It'll be a, it'll be a good time. Do you think it's a good decision to work with venues who have esports affiliation and clearly want to be a part of the esports ecosystem for a while? And for those that are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, the TD Garden's parent company, Delaware North, uh, invested in Splice uh, several months ago in February. So, And a big part of their pitch is that they want to do esports events at TD Garden. So, Tyler, do you think that it's a good idea to start looping in some of these venues, such as the TD Garden and such as the American Airlines Center in Miami, these venues that want to partake, do you think it's a good idea to start working with them and start making them kind of home spaces for the esports crowd? Of course. I think for Riot, it's just it's, it's a positive. I mean, the, the big elephant in the room is franchising. It, it's coming. I think everyone knows it's coming. I think... It's on the wall. With North America going into this direction of franchising and, and possibly having home regions or geolocation possibly in the future, who knows? I think having home bases and having teams tied to arenas or teams tied to cities is, is something that you have to look at. I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we'll ever get to the, the point where they're like, hey, let's have San Francisco Cloud 9 and, you know, have Boston Splice and have Splice come over from EU and, all that jazz, but I think it's great to have, you know, ties with, you know, teams that have connections to arenas. I think it's also probably a much easier discussion. Like, I'm, I'm sure that having the TD Garden sign off on this and having negotiations is much easier than going to an arena and trying to sell them on League of Legends when they have no clue what you're talking about, which, which honestly is probably becoming less and less each day with how big esports is just becoming across America and across the world. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, that is it, folks. That's it for us. Um, if you want to follow all of us on Twitter, uh, my Twitter is at Jacob N. Wolf, and Tyler is at Fion on Fire. Uh, thank you to Tyler. Thank you to St. Vicious earlier for joining us. And that is it. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.